0: All right, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us today. I want to thank you for being a part of this worship experience. And because this is Mother's Day weekend, I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are worshiping with us today. I've got my mother's Bible with me today. It's really the only thing I have left for my mother who died in August of 2015. My mother had Alzheimer's and she was in a nursing home in Texas when she died. The last time I saw her, she didn't have any idea at all who I was, and that was a pretty sad experience, honestly. But I do find a lot of comfort uh, from my memories of her, and I find a lot of comfort from her Bible. I've told you before about my mother's family. It was her mother, my grandmother, who had a dramatic conversion experience as a result in being in a as a result of being in a serious automobile accident. She found herself. In a local hospital flat on her back when some men from a local church came and told her the good news that Jesus offers her a new and a better life and she accepted that offer and that changed our family for all eternity. Uh, prior to that she and my grandfather owned and operated a bar on the west side of Tulsa, Oklahoma and that's the environment my mother grew up in. As a result she made a uh, a lot of mistakes in her life, especially when she was young. But she became a Christian as a result of the influence of her mother, my grandmother, and uh, she held on to the grace of God. And when I open up my mother's Bible, I'm reminded of that because right uh, inside the cover, the very first thing she has written here is, um, when the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. And if you've been a part of our Mount Pleasant family any length the time, you know why that makes me smile, because uh, I've been telling you that, as a basic rule for understanding the Bible, uh, reading and understanding the Bible for a long time. But just after that, she has uh, written these words. I, I, I get comfort reading them in her handwriting. God not only forgives our sins, He forgets them. You know, the Bible says when God forgives our sin, He remembers them no more. She goes on to write, We must remember this when, number one, we are haunted by the past, things and times in our lives. And number two when we are faced with the challenge to serve, we should remember that God has forgotten our sins. Sometimes uh, people are reluctant to serve God because they think that they don't deserve to. And then she goes on to write, to make this a truth, he sent Jesus. God forgets our sins, and when he looks at us, he sees only Jesus. My mother wasn't perfect, she would tell you that, but she was someone whose life was changed by the love and the mercy and the grace of God. There's no such thing as a perfect mother, and because of that, and many other reasons, Mother's Day can be a painful holiday for some people. But on this Mother's Day, let's make every effort to embrace the grace of God and be thankful that His grace is exactly what we need whenever we go through difficulties and disappointments in life. Recently, I ran across a Mother's Day prayer written by Rick Warren, and I just want to read that or pray that for all of us today. And so before we begin our time of study, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And whatever you're feeling today about Mother's Day or anything related to that, I hope that you'll let these words comfort your hearts. Let's pray together. Dear God, none of us had perfect moms, but we honor them Because you chose them to create each of us. And we honor all the many kinds of mothers today. You've told us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So that's what we do today. We ask you to comfort those with heartaches today. Those who have lost their mothers. Moms who have lost a child through miscarriage or death. Our stepmoms who struggle with blending a family. Those who have delayed or failed adoptions, for moms who have a broken relationship with a child, for those who have been hurt by a child, those who've wanted to be mothers, but it hasn't happened because they've struggled with infertility. But we also celebrate the mothers in our church, those who gave birth this year to a new baby, those who have adopted or welcomed foster kids, those who have welcomed grandbabies this year, those who serve as spiritual moms to our teens, those who are carrying precious babies inside of them right now. We thank you for our moms in every stage of life, the mothers of preschoolers whose work is never finished, moms of grade schoolers who play chauffeur and pack lunches and help with homework every day, moms who feel both the pride and the ache of an empty nest, grandmothers who pray for both their families and our church family. On this Mother's Day, we commit ourselves to honoring, loving, and protecting the mothers in our lives and our church family. And we thank you for the gift of mothers. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're in a very special weekend series called Blind Spots. But what I want to do today is take a brief break from that series and share a message that I hope will minister to everyone's heart today. And I'm going to be very honest about where this message comes from. My wife, Sandy, and I have been married for a little over 38 years. She is the ultimate behind the scenes preacher's wife. I've been the pastor here for over 18 years, and I think I can count on one hand the number of times she has stood with me on the stage, on the platform. She has a servant's heart. She is, in many ways, the rock of our family. She's walked through some very difficult times with me over the last 38 years. We moved from Texas to Oklahoma in 1992, which means she moved away from home in 1992. She was born in Michigan, but moved to Texas with her family when she was very young, and all of her family continues to live in Texas. She's the only one who has left. Then we moved from Oklahoma to Indiana in 2001, and I've told you before what a difficult move that was for our family, and she uh, really bore the brunt of that. Uh, most days, when it came to the unhappiness of our children, she's been by my side in times of discouragement, in times of heartbreak, in times when I've been under attack, quite honestly. And uh, she's been by my side in times when I've been sick and we didn't know if there was going to be a tomorrow. And in all of those moments, in all those times in our lives, she's been an absolute rock. But here's the deal. These last eight weeks have been very, very difficult for my wife, Sandy, because fear and anxiety and questions about the future have uh, pretty much been in her heart and her mind nonstop. And while we have talked and prayed and been faithful to a daily devotion together each night, the truth is there have just been good days and bad days, and honestly, there have been more bad days than good days, and so... And this is the simplest way that I can describe it to you. I just asked her a few days ago if I could preach a Mother's Day sermon for her based on what she was feeling, the discouragement, the despair, and the depression. And I asked her that because I believe what she's feeling is what many people are feeling, at least on some level, and she said yes. She gave me permission to share this. And so what I want to do is spend some time talking to you about how we can find and embrace hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. And one of the things I want you to know from the beginning is if you're feeling the way my wife Sandy does, and I want her to know this, you're not alone. All of us, at least on some level, are dealing with fear and anxiety, and all of us have questions about the future, some level of discouragement, despair, and Depression is a reality for many of us right now. And so, you're not alone. I also want you to know that God has seen your struggle and God has heard your cries and He continues to be with you as well. And so, I, I want to speak into that for a little while this day by sharing some biblical truth and encouragement. Uh, first, with my wife, Sandy, and also with each of you, and I hope that it will speak to you in a powerful way. I'm going to use a very familiar story from the Old Testament. And so if you've got a Bible handy, I want you to take it and turn with me uh, to 1 Kings in chapter 19. When we open our Bibles to 1 Kings 19, we find the prophet Elijah, and he's getting ready to go through what might be best called an unexpected emotional storm. But before we look at that, let me just remind you of what has just happened in Elijah's life. In 1 Kings 16, we read about a man named Ahab becoming the king of Israel, and the Bible says that he was more wicked than any of the other kings before him. And I mentioned this uh, last week. One of the things that he did that was so wicked was he brought the worship of a Canaanite god called Baal into the land of Israel. He brought worship, idolatrous worship of a false god into the land of God's people. And so one day, God tapped the prophet Elijah on the shoulder and said, listen, I want you to go to Ahab and say to him, there will be no dew or rain in the next few years except by my word. And that's exactly what Elijah did. The book of James in the New Testament tells us that for three and a half years, there was no rain in the land of Israel. And then when it was time, God sent Elijah back to Ahab and basically said, listen, we're going to settle this once and for all, we're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal, the false god of Baal, and the one true God. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of the contest because I imagine that many of you already know that story, and if you don't, you can learn about it by just reading in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 16 to the end of the chapter. The bottom line is this. God, through the prophet Elijah, exposed and humiliated the prophets of Baal, and in the end, all the prophets of Baal were killed. In fact, my NIV Bible says they were all slaughtered. At the end of chapter 18, after all of that happens, Elijah prays and rain once again comes to the land of Israel. Well, then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. And after his dramatic victory on Mount Carmel that showcased the power of God, Elijah gets a message from King Ahab's wife, a woman named Jezebel. And this is what it said. This is 1 Kings 19 and verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And friends, The only thing that I can say is that sent Elijah into an emotional tailspin. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3 and read for just a little while. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors'. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. We'll pause right there for a moment at the first part of verse 5 and just say you can see, you can definitely see that Elijah has gone from the highest of highs, his victory over the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, to the lowest of lows. We'll pick it up again in the latter part of verse 5. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then down, he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. All right, so Elijah is feeling absolutely overwhelmed by the threat of Queen Jezebel. He's so overwhelmed that he runs for his life And when he pauses long enough to pray, he basically says, I'm done, Lord. Now I just want to die. Now, I don't know how you think about that, but I would call that a deep, deep level of emotional trauma and emotional stress. We pick up the story in the latter part of 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 9. It says, remember, Elijah has traveled to to Mount Horeb and he's gone into a cave. And then it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet." Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not kneeled down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. We'll stop right there. What I really want to do, having read that story, having reminded many of you of that story, is just point out some very practical truths that we can learn that I think will help us deal with the emotional stress, the emotional trauma that many are feeling today. I am sharing these as a way of helping my wife Sandy deal with what she's experiencing right now. The first truth is this, no one is exempt from emotional trauma. Remember, Elijah had just experienced the greatest victory of his life. When God demonstrated his power during that contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, all of the people, all of the people of Israel who had turned away from God and begun to worship this false god fell down and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's 1 Kings 18 and verse 39. And then Elijah, feeling the power and the presence of God in his life like he had never felt it before, said, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. And they took them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. Many of you have been with me to the Holy Land. I've been in three different trips so far and we've visited Mount Carmel on every one of these trips and we've stood on the top of the the church or the building that's There at Mount Carmel and look down over the Kishon Valley, you can see this almost unfolding before your very eyes. We've seen that statue of Elijah with a a sword in his hand and his foot on the neck of one of those prophets. It's a very powerful part of experiencing the Holy Land. And so, what happened on Mount Carmel is God used the faith and the boldness and the courage of Elijah to bring an entire nation to repentance. Just imagine that. Ha- just imagine how that must have made him feel. But it doesn't last long, and when Jezebel sends her threat, Elijah immediately falls into a time of great despair. And so, one of the things that we learn from this is that all of us, everyone say all of us, all of us, are susceptible to the emotional distress and the despair that the different threats of life can bring into our lives. And oftentimes they come when we we expect them the least, when we are not ready for them at all. I look back at my 2020 preaching calendar and saw that as a church, we had just experienced that big inspirational weekend where we celebrated passing the $1 million mark in monies that had been given away through change for a dollar. And then two weeks later, we were under a stay-at-home order with online worship, worship services only and without the ability to gather together in person. And as a result, all kinds of difficulties come into our lives, all kinds of emotional stress and emotional trauma and uh, fear and anxiety and questions and on and on and on. There's a reason why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No one is exempt from fear. No one is exempt from anxiety. No one is exempt from questions about the future. No one is exempt from discouragement or despair or even different levels of depression. I read an article online the other day that talked about the most common issues people are bringing up in therapy during the coronavirus, and here they are. Number one, I feel burned out. Number two, I'm worried about my family. Number three, I'm grieving the loss of my old life. Number four, I don't know what my future looks like any longer, and that scares me. Number five, I'm worried about money. Number six, being at home all the time has created friction in my marriage. And number seven, I find myself questioning my faith. Now, my guess is, that many, if not most of you who are listening to me right now can relate to at least one of those. I know that I certainly can. No one is exempt from emotional trauma or stress or struggle. Even the strongest Christians with the strongest faith will face those things from time to time. And so don't beat yourself up if that's the way you're feeling right now, because you're not alone. And it doesn't make you some kind of second-class Christian or second-class believer. There's great power to being honest. A few days ago, I think it was probably a week ago Saturday, I walked into the house after having been gone for a while, and Sandy was in the kitchen. I walked in the kitchen and put my arms around her to give her a hug, and she simply looked up at me and said with tears in her eyes, I'm having a really bad day. Well, honestly, I, I don't think there's anything she could have said that would have made me love her more in that moment. And I don't think there's anything she could have said that would have made me feel closer to her, want to be closer to her in that moment. And if that's the way I feel as a woefully imperfect husband, then how do you think God feels when he hears those kinds of honest words from his children? There's great power in honesty when it comes to our faith. Elijah, after he began to run away from Jezebel, when he finally paused, he sat down and he said, this is 1 Kings 19:4. I have had enough, Lord, take my life. Now, I want to just kind of pause here at this part of the story for a minute and tell you that I don't really think, and certainly I could be wrong about this, but I don't really think that Elijah wanted to die in that moment. And the reason why I say that is oftentimes when emotional stress and emotional trauma comes into our lives, when we're walking through an emotional storm, oftentimes that will sabotage our ability to think straight. And I think that's what happened to Elijah. I mean, just go back to the threat, the initial threat from Jezebel that started all of this in First Kings chapter 19 and verse two. Jezebel sent this message to it. Elijah, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now let's think about that for a minute. Basically, Jezebel is invoking the power of the gods, small g, of the gods to help her, these same so called gods that Elijah had just exposed as powerless during that count, that contest on Mount Carmel. But apparently, in this moment, in the middle of this emotional storm, Elijah forgot about that. And the next thing you know, he's sitting under a broom tree saying, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. But, and I want you to listen to me really closely, just because we may not be thinking straight when we go through difficult times, when we find ourselves in an emotional storm facing emotional stress and trauma, just because we may not be thinking straight, that doesn't mean we shouldn't give ourselves permission to say out loud exactly how we feel. Because notice that when Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord, take my life, or remember from reading the story, God didn't immediately show up and scold him. God didn't judge him. God didn't condemn him. And He's not going to do that to you either. Instead, He's going to continue to love you. Psalm 145 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. Now note the second part of this verse. To all who call on Him in truth, in honesty. Emotional trauma can come into our lives in a variety of ways. It can come in fear, anxiety, anxiety. Questions, doubt, despair, and on and on and on. No one is exempt from those things. And the only right thing in the beginning when that happens is to be honest. Because, as I've told you before, being honest is the first step toward getting the help that you need. Let me give you a second truth that I think comes from this story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 don't forget the importance of taking care of yourself. I'm, going to spend, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but, but I think it's significant that in Elijah's story of emotional stress and trauma, the Bible takes time to specifically tell us there was a time when he laid down and fell asleep that he was awakened by an angel who said, get up and eat because bread and water had been provided by God and this happened twice. All that to say, we can't forget the importance of taking care of ourselves physically when we're going through a difficult time emotionally because that's when it's easy to let ourselves go. You know, I, I, I told you that this story came from the reality of some struggles, emotional struggles that my wife Sandy has been experiencing, but she's not the only one who's struggled emotionally at times during this uh, stay-at-home order and this time of uncertainty, because I've certainly faced my fair share of struggles as well. I have been anxious at times. I have worried about the future. I tell you, every time the weekend rolls around uh, and uh, I worship online and I, I join all three of the services, I want to see what the people are saying and, and connect with you if I can. I, every time I do that, I'm very emotional. I'm on the verge of tears. It doesn't take much to bring the tears, and so I've struggled myself. One night recently, uh, I was feeling especially stressed, and I told Sandy, don't worry about making dinner tonight. Let's just go out and get something. So we ended up going over to Culver's, and I uh, don't go there, very, very uh, there very often, and I got me a great big double cheeseburger and a great big bag of french fries and I ate those quickly and later that night when I was at home we had some leftover chips and queso from a date night takeout order from on the border and I ate all of that and uh, I just felt sick to my stomach. That's not something that I do very often but I was eating my feelings. I wasn't paying attention to my own physical body at the time. When we go through emotional trauma it's easy to ignore the basic elements of self-care. Honestly, for me, it's not usually a problem that I have with eating or eating the wrong kinds of things. When I feel emotionally overwhelmed, the problem I usually have is sleeping. And I'll stay awake sometimes uh, till the early hours of the morning before I can go to sleep. And I know that's not healthy. The bottom line is when we face emotional trauma, one of the things that we have to pay attention to, and we really learned this from the story of Elijah, is you got to take care of yourself. Physically. The third thing I've got written down here that we can learn from this story is understand that healing won't come until you get face to face with God. Elijah's emotional and spiritual healing didn't come until he found himself in that cave alone with God. Now, granted, this happened in a pretty dramatic way for Elijah. In fact, let me just go back and read that part of the story again. It begins um, in uh, verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, or after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the of the cave. We'll stop right there. You know, an encounter with God, a personal face-to-face encounter with God for us will probably not be nearly as dramatic as it was for Elijah. But when we're in a bad place emotionally, when we're struggling emotionally, when we are being overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and questions about the future and feelings of discouragement and despair, at some point, we need to get alone with God. That's what Elijah did. And, and and let me make some brief observations from Elijah's experience with God. First, and a couple of these are a repeat of something I've already said, but I want to re-emphasize them. First, God didn't deal with Elijah until he got the rest and refreshment he needed, until he slept and ate, then slept and ate, and then when he got to the mountain and the cave, he slept again. And I think that's important because sometimes our lives can be so hectic and so chaotic and so out of control that we are not able to hear from God. So don't underestimate the power of taking care of yourself and getting yourself physically healthy so you can be spiritually healthy. The second observation is God didn't judge or condemn Elijah. And I know I said that earlier also, but I want to emphasize that truth again. Don't be afraid to be honest. Sometimes you've got to give yourself permission to say what it is that you're feeling, no matter how irrational it may be, so that you can take the first step toward healing. The third thing I've got written down here is listen for the gentle whisper or the gentle reminder of God's presence. You know, I've always been fascinated by this scene where God tells Elijah to come and to stand on the mountain in his presence because he's about to pass by. And then there's the powerful wind, but God's not in the wind. Then there's the earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. Then there's a fire, but God's not in the fire. And then Elijah hears this gentle whisper and God speaks to him. I've looked at dozens of sources over the years to see what different people say about this, and I found dozens of answers. But at the end of the day, I think God used this demonstration to remind Elijah that while there are times like that contest on Mount Carmel where God does his work in big ways, more often than not, God does his work quietly from behind the scenes. We just have to trust that he's at work. There's a fourth observation I've got written down here, but I need to pick the text back up and read a little bit further. Uh, In verse 13, I just read, when Elijah heard it, that is that gentle whisper from God, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? And Elijah just gives the same answer. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And here's how God responded. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. Then he goes on to say that they will take care of all those who have escaped the sword of Elijah, and he concludes by saying, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And so basically, God says, what are you doing? Elijah gives him his answer, and God just responds by telling Elijah to do three things, anoint Hazael king over Aram, anoint Jehu uh, king over Israel, and Elisha to, see, to succeed him as a prophet. That's basically God's way of reminding Elijah that just because you don't see or understand what I'm doing during this difficult time doesn't mean that I don't have a plan and that I'm not at work. And so instead of scolding Elijah, instead of condemning him, judging him, God basically recommissions him because there were things he needed Elijah to do. And God knew the best thing for Elijah in that moment was to stop thinking about himself and get back to being the man God called him to be. And so the fourth thing that we do, or the fourth observation rather from this encounter that Elijah had with God was that sometimes what we need to do is turn our attention to others. Well, I've probably gone on longer than I should today, and so I need to bring this to an end with... A couple of thoughts. Here's the first one. When emotional trauma comes into our lives, it affects the way we think. Emotional stress, when we find ourselves in an emotional storm. And we need to remember that as people of faith, we don't live by the belief that when my life becomes good, I'll feel good and I'll do good. We live by the belief we live by the conviction that when we do good and in this case i think we could say when we when we do good by obeying god that's when we begin to feel good and that's when life begins to become good so when emotional trauma comes along don't don't let it cause you to change or rearrange that sequence continue to be the person God has called you to be. Be honest about how you're feeling. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself and get face-to-face with God and finally do what God has called you to do. Oftentimes, that's going to involve serving other people. The second observation I have here and the last thing before we close, and I referenced this a little bit earlier, don't ever forget that just because you don't see or understand what God is doing, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan and that he's not at work. I have a plaque in my office with a saying on it that was found on the wall of a basement in Germany following World War II. This is what it says. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I can't feel it. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. It may very well feel to you like God is silent right now, which might make you think that God's not involved. But my encouragement is that you find a way to listen for the quiet and gentle whisper of god in your life because he's not just a god of wonders he's a god of whispers as well and he sees you and he hears your cry and he feels the pain that you're feeling and he wants you to be set free from this emotional storm, stress, and trauma that brings all the fear and the anxiety and the questions and the despair. He wants to see you set free from that. That's what he wants for my wife, Sandy. That's what he wants for me. And that's what he wants for you. And he has proven to us over and over again that he is a God who can be trusted. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for a time to share from your word. And I pray for my wife Sandy today and all that she's struggling with. And I pray that you would bring strength and courage and spiritual healing to her heart in the midst of this difficult time, in the midst of the emotional storm that she's experiencing in her life. I pray that you would help me uh, to help her, to continue to help her in that. And I pray that same prayer for everyone who is experiencing those same feelings because i I believe, I, I know that there are many, many people, even as we find ourselves at a time when we're beginning to see a little bit of a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel and we're beginning to see some steps back to what may be some level of normalcy in our lives, the fear and the anxiety and the questions are still there, the discouragement, the despair. And so I pray that you would bring healing, emotional healing, To every hurting heart, help us to remember that you always have a plan and you're always at work and we can trust you. Even when we don't feel like we hear from you or when we don't see what you're doing, that we can trust you. And help that trust, that faith eventually to win in the struggle in our hearts that struggle between fear and anxiety and questions and discouragement and despair. Help faith and trust to be what wins in the end and use this experience to make us stronger believers, stronger Christians than we've ever been before. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you uh, need to talk to somebody, you need to share your prayer concerns with someone, then reach out to our online host today. And I want to make sure that you know that if during this uh, difficult time, God has really worked on your heart and you've come to a place in your life where you want to surrender your life to him, you want to uh, make sure that your life is right with God, then you can do that. We can help you do that. Everything from uh, you reaching out to your online host right now, to setting that in motion, to us being able to meet you here at the church uh, for a baptism, for the expression of your faith. We can do all of that right now. I don't want you to think that you're limited in any way. We're here for you. We want to see you become the person that God wants you to be, and we can help you with every step involved in that journey. I love you. I pray that you have a great day. God bless.